Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. Uh, apparently, you can never have too many yogurt brands, uh, but the Paterland Sisters brand really does stand out from the clutter on store shelves in a number of respects. It's organic and based on farming principles that are both sustainable to the land and humane for the animals. Uh, it is in the Is Icelandic skier yogurt style that is more nutri nutrient dense than typical yogurts. And unlike even the trendiest of brands, the Painterland brand comes with two genuine farmer's daughters. Co-CEOs Haley and Stephanie Painter were born and raised on a farm in central Pennsylvania that has been in the family for four generations. After college, they returned home, focused on connecting consumers with the traditions of farming. And within a few short years, a Kickstarter campaign, their organic sustainable yogurt brand has reached 40, oh, more than 45 retailers in over 1,500 locations. It's one of the fastest growing brands in their category. And today we have Stephanie with us. Stephanie, where, where do we find you today? Hi, I'm actually in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, so Southern Pennsylvania. Welcome. <laughs> So I'm sure that you can tell the story better than I did. Uh, so what really brought you to become Icelandic yogurt makers in the middle of Pennsylvania? Yes. Well, I think you did a fantastic job. Thank you for the introduction and the opportunity to be here. Uh, so my sister and I, like you mentioned, we're fourth generation on our family's organic regenerative dairy and crop farm in northern Pennsylvania, north central PA, about five minutes from the New York border. Uh, we've always wanted to come back to the farm and to show the world our farm and connect the you know world to the farm, the farm to the world, right? As we've gotten, we graduated college, uh, Haley went to Iowa State. I went to a private university here in Pennsylvania, Susquehanna. Uh, we realized people were totally disconnected from the source of their food, which is the American farmer, right? And we were constantly telling our story in a unique, I guess, millennial woman type of way. And so when we went back to the, the family farm, we told our dad, like, hey, we need a couple years to basically get out of get out of this small town, talk to more people than our cows and our cousins, <laughs> and we'll come back and then we'll figure it out, right? So we, we always knew we were going to come back. And once we finally did, we're like, we have a ton of milk, right? We don't want to be another statistic like most dairy farms are today, right? We don't want to close our doors. What can we do to take control of our own destinies and really bring value and understanding of the American dairy farmer specifically? Uh, so anyways, we... We decided, okay, let's make an organic Icelandic style skier yogurt. So we partnered with a 10 generation Icelandic yogurt maker here in Pennsylvania of all places, very serendipitous. So we uh, take our family farms milk as well as other farm in our general vicinity uh, to the middle of Pennsylvania. We make great yogurt and then we ship it to almost all 50 states and getting close to 2000 locations. And we just launched... Uh, just over a year ago. <laughs> so uh, up until then, the family farm had been mainly producing for wholesale and selling to suppliers and 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 other 
product manufacturers? Yes. Yeah, so uh, just co-ops. So we'd sell the milk right to a co-op. Yep. And and in this case, you were partnering with an, an Icelandic yogurt maker who already had production facilities, or did you have to ramp that up? Yeah. So um, we went down the path. We got our first grant from the Center of Dairy Excellence. So we really tied into our, our farming community here in Pennsylvania to build a business plan. We were going to do a manufacturing facility and a consumer product goods company, right? We didn't realize they were two separate businesses, the manufacturing facility. And then we had to figure out how to sell all of that, those dairy products. So after about a year and a half of realizing it, we just, we hit a stop in the road. We were like, oh my gosh, we have two different companies here. We need to figure out like how we can sell this product first. Cause this is a lot of milk. That means a lot of product. Mm-hmm. So we partnered with a co-packer here in Pennsylvania. Um, and it's been really great to even realize the word co-packer, you know, as a, as a farmer that has a raw material and wants to do something with it. I think that's something that people don't know because we didn't know that, that there are people that you can, you know, utilize and partner with to, to make a great product. So, so, uh, what was the, uh, the Kickstarter for and what did you do with that? Yeah, so it's actually it's WeFunder. And so we're on WeFunder right now. We're continuing to to be on WeFunder um, to basically this is our first outside money funding, right? So we're crowdfunding. Uh, we worked with our family farm after the after all the grants. We worked with our family farm uh, and our family's bank to get us going the first year. And then things were going way faster than we were thought they were going to go. And it's really exciting, but we realized, okay, we need to, we need to raise some outside money now. And so we tapped into, again, we're looking at our community. We tapped into the ag community to begin with. And then we're like, you know, we have some great people out there that love nutrient dense food and that love um, being connected to the farmer. So we want to work with our community in that way to raise the money that we need to continue to grow this business. And what is the retail footprint now? Where are you? What sorts of stores are there? And which 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 chains? I also noticed when I look around for local stores, you, you've got a lot of smaller shops, a lot of organic shops. Um, so how do you how do you find all of those? And what is the retail reach like now? Yeah. So, um, so we're at almost we're getting closer to two thousand stores, like I mentioned, and and we're from the nooks and crannies of the world in Pennsylvania small town. And we wanted to make sure that we got the yogurt into the nooks and crannies of the world uh, so that everyone can enjoy a nutrient dense, sustainable yogurt. Right. And so we partnered with a a lot of small, not a lot, but some small regional uh, distributors that managed to get into the mom and pops, the independents, the independent co-ops. We also partnered with, I mean, we were brand new, right? brand new to the retail world. We didn't even know what a broker really did. So we, we work with, um, we work with a broker. We got into giant, which is a a local conventional, uh, store here in Pennsylvania. And they really worked with us. They came to the farm. They told our story about being a local farmer. That's been a great partnership. Other than, um, those stores, we really can't concentrate on the natural market, natural channel. Um, so we work with Greenspoon, our broker, um, and we've gotten um, distribution all over the country be- through working with them. So we were in stores like Sprouts, Whole Foods, Mid Atlantic, um, Natural Grocers was one of what, which is actually 
launched us nationally. Um, and natural grocery was a cool store to get into because they really worked on and asked us a lot of questions about the sustainable regenerative agriculture piece. And so uh, we had a lot of questions we answered and, and some great follow-up to that. Then we're in uh, Central Market was one of the first stores that picked us up. Um, and they're just the coolest little, you know, chains down there, just wonderful produce and different products. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really rocking and rolling. Uh, started getting into Nugget and Pete's in Chicago, mm -hmm. different things like that, concentrating on saturating the natural channel. And if I'm out of breath, it's because I am 39 weeks pregnant right now. So oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Another Thank you. Another painter generation. Yes. And actually, yeah. so um, one of our yogurts is named after my two-year-old Meadow, Meadowberry. Oh. And one is named after my stepdaughter, Savannah, Savannah's Peach. And so my sister told me that I have to name this baby boy uh, something that we can name a yogurt after. So I still don't have a name and I could have many days. The naming choices come down to good brand extensions. Yeah, yeah. Just kidding, but hey, I'll try. Oh, by the way, since you're talking about the sisters, how do you guys divide up your work? Uh, who Who's strong in what areas? How does it yeah. all break down? Super interesting question that we've been working on since we started figuring out how to be sisters and business partners at the same time. So it was definitely and still is a work in progress, but we've learned how to, you know, communicate in the familial setting and then also in the business setting. Um, so Haley, really, we make the big choices together. Um, I concentrate on some of the, the finance more logistics, sales side. She's concentrating on um, operations, uh, marketing, and she's also headed up the crowdfunding with our director of marketing. She's been the primary person for that. Um, and then, you know, there's legal, there's all the good stuff, HR that, that um, yeah, we've kind of just figured out, okay, hey, you take that on. And things come up all the time that we've never experienced before being, you know, new business owners so we kind of just we know each other's strengths and and mm -hmm. what we can what we can do so so uh, I want to go back to the retail piece because we talked to a lot of CPGs here and a lot of them especially the newer ones that a, a lot of them started as direct to consumer brands and and move into the retail space they're sort of shocked at the sheer costliness of going retail um the way co-marketing free fill agreements all of the things that seem to uh cut down on the margins of uh of cpgs how have you encountered this market when it comes to just the cost and the, and the margin pressures of uh, of working cpg into retail um i think it's totally should be a college course or something. It's total insanity to figure this out and crack the code. Um, so we, we had a lot of milk. We have a lot of milk, right? So we knew that we wanted to be in a lot of stores to sell a lot of product. Um, so this was, and direct to consumer sales in general with a dairy product, not super easy. And so this is what we needed to do. And we needed to figure out how to navigate. We, we hired um, an interim VP of sales that basically laid it out for us, right? He was like, this is what a broker is. This is what sales promotion is. This is what, you know, TPRs are and OIs and all the stuff that we had no idea about. And um, we hired we hired professionals to help us figure this out because 
we just would never have been able to do it in the time that we were, you know, just evolving and growing so fast by ourselves. Um, it's just a whole new world, I guess. And it's extremely expensive to play ball in this world. Um, you know, the margins are hard to work with, especially with a dairy product. We have a 60 day shelf life product, which is good for a dairy product, but just, just that kind of turnaround and managing inventory with the big distributors to make sure you don't get spoils because deduction management is a whole separate animal that we're just learning about this year as well, you know? So, um, our, our retailers and our distributors have been, have been good partners. It's just been, it's just been a learning curve. Right. And we just, I think that's part of being an entrepreneur, just being able to pivot and understanding when you don't know how to do something, asking for help from someone who does. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, tell us about, uh, since you've had some pretty strong growth and maybe you can sort of outline the nature of the growth for us. Um, yeah. How are you managing it? Because you said that it, it took off very quickly. Um, you were, you know, you had a lot of supply to get out there, um, but also increasing demand. So tell us a little bit about how you manage growth. Yeah, so we launched March of 2022 into retail, worked with a, a local distributor here um, in Pennsylvania to get in those mom and pops, like I said, and then within a couple months, we were hitting national with National Grocers and then Sprouts really took us off, um, and Sprouts has been a great partner to work with. So anyways, in 12 months, we hit $1.3 million worth of revenue, and then this year, we're, we're on track to hit $3.5 million worth of revenue. That's a lot of yogurt. <laughs> and, and it's a lot, it's, um, you know, it's not like we're produce, we're producing every single week because this is a short shelf life product. Right. So that's about 60,000 yogurt cups we're making every week. And we're, we're working. We just hired a, a director of operations. Who's excellent at figuring out how to continue to grow that. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's really about in our, you know, it's about really like looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, Hey, what, what do we need to pay for when it comes to professional help? Like when, when do we need to contract help, you know, say like in an, like I said, an interim VP of sales or some sort of consulting business, when do we need to bring in internal employees, um, looking at just understanding your books, um, from, a local bookkeeper versus hiring a bookkeeper that specializes in accountant that specializes in CPG mm -hmm. and just working and talking to other founders has been uh, lucrative. So just, Hey, what do you do? You know, like we feel like we're, we need to, we need to, we need to continue to grow and we need to implement new things into our company. What do you do when you've grown, how you've done it? Like, mm -hmm. and so that's been, it's, it's just, we ask and we talk mm -hmm. and we are, you know, we don't pretend we know everything and people have been really great in this industry, giving us advice. And we're really grateful for that. So let's talk about the media and the marketing plan. Um, yeah. How much of this has simply been organic growth and how much have you felt you needed to advertise or to market and what channels, where does, the, if there's any budget for this, where does it go? Yeah. So we, I guess when it comes to marketing in general, we have a very, we're a certified woman-owned brand and you can tell through our pure packaging on our marketing, mm -hmm. right? It looks different on shelf. So we spent um, a lot of time doing the look, creating the look of the brand. We work with, my sister and I by ourselves, we worked with our 
a great uh, graphic designer. She lives in the woods in Oregon and we found her on Instagram and we were very particular with how we were coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, We did a lot of the writing and a lot of it was organic. Um, And then we hired a director of marketing and she's helped us become strategic with just different um, geo-targeting, Google ads, uh, figuring out we wanted to do, we knew we wanted to do a lot of grassroots marketing, like brand ambassadors. We have Moo Crew members that really help us tell our story in their local communities. We Mm -hmm. engage with a lot of uh, local events that are happening in different communities. So that's been, it's been really interesting to do that. And we definitely have a budget. We wish we had a bigger budget for that because um, you know, we believe in that, but we're, we're millennial women. Like we're on Instagram, we're, we're on Facebook, we're utilizing what we've grown up, uh, knowing. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's cut a lot of the cost and a lot of that grassroots marketing with the ambassadors and stuff has, has I, helped us. I, I, since you mentioned packaging, I think if anybody will, will include images in, in the newsletter, uh, it is different from most yogurts. Most, most yogurts are like, they're, they're, they're clearly fighting against everybody else on the shelf mm-hmm. in the brightness, the, the, the fruits everywhere, um, purple colors, you know, yeah. uh, yours are very different. Why don't you characterize the choices that you made in, in terms of packaging and how you wanted to look on the shelf? Yeah, we, everything that we do, we, we try and work really hard to maintain authenticity to who we are. And so we grew up on a farm very natural minded. And we wanted to make sure that came through in our packaging. And, and we wanted people to understand like what was in this product was clean, pure from the farmer, from two sisters, and just laid it out. We wanted them to understand our agriculture background and how we practice sustainable agriculture. So we worked on and people are a lot of people are visual, right? So if we just marked regenerative agriculture, it might not have worked. So we had our graphic designer work on different icons for this, right? And we've mm-hmm. developed a lot of, and that's just on the packaging piece. We have a farmer owned icon that is literally a farm her, like it's a woman mm-hmm. farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a mother owned icon because 80% of the buying power is women, right? And when people, when mothers, especially like they'll, they want to get their kids the best, right? So from one mother to another, we've got you. And we understood this and we want to make sure it's on the packaging. Um, Certified woman-owned, put that on the packaging. Uh, Now my sister did, and I did get into sisterly quarrels about where the blueberries go and stuff like that. But we were very precise with our, with how we did things on our, on our packaging. Yeah, I think that happens at Procter and Gamble too. Um, <laughs> thing too. Those are the, some of the biggest battles. Yeah, like, the smallest things. Move the blueberry back this way. No, this blueberry needs to be slightly bigger. It needs to go right. <laughs> um, how about how are you thinking about uh, diversifying your product line? Um, does you know obviously dairy can be used in a lot of different places uh and and what's the plan now what do you move into next do you want to move into something else yeah so we're dairy farmers from the core so anything to do with dairy we're interested in doing um right now we're just I feel like starting to get into a flow with our our actual skier yogurt so we're gonna continue to put our attention on that but we are definitely looking into 
all dairy products pretty much and continuing to figure out how we can utilize this great um, milk to connect to the world and and give people a nutrient dense product in any different way. So what do you like most and least about being a CPG entrepreneur? Whoa, okay. (laughs) What I like most, I think one of the best things is to you know, be able on the store shelf, not necessarily, you know, there's, we, we wanted, when we started this, we were like, we're going to have a little farm stand and we're going to give people, you know, great nutrient dense products right from the farm. And we've taken that up a notch and we're able to do that now at the convenience of going into a retail grocery store. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the coolest things is being able to offer, you know, just busy people, people, in their convenient lives, when they go to the grocery store, a nutrient dense product, they can grab off the shelf. That's right from the farm. That's connected from the farm. And that's so hard to find now without driving 10 miles this way. And then taking a life left at the pine tree and going down a two mile dirt road to get great organic, you know, products from a farmer. Now they're able to go in their grocery store and get it. And and that makes me feel really, really great to be able to provide that to them. And then least is it just feels like sometimes I would say that it's it's hard you know you mentioned all the sales and the trade promo and trade expenses it's really hard to navigate that because we want to give it to the consumer right and sometimes it feels a little convoluted so mm-hmm. I think that's that's the that's one of the trickiest parts of this. And then it's also like, Hey, you know, you can, you can make more money if you, you cut the probiotics in half. We're like, well, the probiotics are, you know, that's what's helping people's gut. Or if you take out the lactase enzyme, we're like, well, you know, 68% of people have a lactose intolerance. We don't want to do that. So it's like, I think that's one thing that, you know, you see as brands grow in general is that they start cutting costs by dampening their product and we've really stayed true to like I guess puffing up our chests in the in the farmer way of we're not going to cut corners here like we want to continue to have a really incredibly nutrient dense product so uh have you you know you started out by talking about how um one of the ideas here was to make the farm more sustainable long term um have you have you succeeded do you see this as a model going forward for the farm economy is sort of moving into the CPG space? Yes. And and Haley and I really, that's one of our biggest ambitions is to, to show the potato farmer down the road that if he wanted to, he can make potato chips and he can do this, right? And that and and that we can kind of take back our control over, you know, we're the ones in the field working the soil, making sure that it has nutrients so that it grows into the plants and the plants have nutrients. And then maybe the animal eats the nutrients and that what the animal provides, like the milk is full of that. Like that is so much work and that's so much love. And, and then it kind of gets disconnected when it's on the store shelf. So not only is it important for the consumer, but for the farmer, you know, like if we don't continue to support and respect the farmer, consumers aren't going to have the option. So like, that's one thing it's empowering farmers to be able to take their destiny in their old hands. Like, like uh, we've tried to do. So I, we're really, we're really proud of, of um, 
that and and we speak a lot to that and try to empower people to to make their own brand. Well, good. Um, and and Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, good luck with the baby. <laughs> we hope to see another generation of, of painters coming up with a whole new line of products. This yeah. Like a great tradition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll let you know when the new yogurt flavor comes out. <laughs> and then you'll know it's Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Stephanie. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for hitting play on Media Post Brand Insider Podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at mediapost.com. Until next week, let's market carefully out there. <laughs>